Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast about death. Where two brothers, Hank and John Green, we answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. But we're recording this one a week early, so we don't actually know what the news is, but we'll figure something out. John, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I, since we're recording this a week early, I'm pretty sure that by the time it's announced, our tour will have been announced. I have a new book coming out, Hank. I don't know if you've heard about it. Yeah. It's called Turtles All the Way Down. It comes out October 10th. And Hank and I are going on tour starting October 10th. I'm not 100% sure that I'm allowed to be talking about this, but I'm going to talk about <laughs> it anyway in the hopes of forcing Penguin's hand. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just want to let everybody know that uh, you can, I, I don't really know where the website is that you can go to. Go to probablysignedturtles.com and I'm sure that'll take you to the tour website. I'm not totally positive how this is all going to go down, <laughs> but I am going to let you know the cities that we're going to, Hank, right. which I don't even know if you know for sure. I'm um, somewhat Somewhat ill-informed. Yeah, okay. So we're going to uh, New York City. Mm -hmm. That's on October 10th. Sure, that makes sense. And we're going to Washington, Washington D.C. And then you're taking two days off to go to a friend's wedding. Correct. Uh, and I am going to be d doing other things. Uh, I'll be in North Carolina and Atlanta. And then we're going to be together in Orlando at Hank's High School Auditorium. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Then we're going to be in oh, Nashville, God, that, Cincinnati, that, that Indianapolis. That's going to make me very uncomfortable. St. Louis, they've improved the auditorium a lot since you were a student okay. there. Naperville, Illinois, or possibly Chicago, not totally sure. St. Paul, uh, Minnesota, cool. Cool. one of the twin uh, cities. Missoula, Montana, Spokane, Washington, Bellingham, Washington, Portland, Oregon, and uh, Corta Madera, uh, California, which I think is in the San Francisco area. And uh, lastly, I think somewhere in the, in Los uh, somewhere Los Angelesy. Sure. And that is the tour. That's the tour. Uh, I apologize to everybody who's like, but I don't live in any of those places. Well, like neither do most people. 
Let's be honest. In fact, almost all humans don't live in any of those places. But if you do live in one of those places, uh, please come visit us on tour. Tickets are on sale now, I think. Um, and you can find out more <laughs> somewhere on the web. I'm not totally positive where. It's good. This was a great promo, John. Uh, Man, I should do this for a living. It's really about having all the information at your fingertips. John, there's a, there's a Twitter <laughs> hashtag going around right now. Um, and it's uh, ruin a book. Uh, change a yeah. letter, change a letter, ruin a right. book, something like that. Yeah. Uh, yep. So you could you could date where where uh, when we were recording this by that information. But uh, I was trying to come up with one for turtles, and all I got was turtles Al the way down. <laughs> It'd be like a book about a guy named Turtles Al who like runs a turtle store, but it's yeah. it's like a, it's a story of his of his like inevitable decline. Uh, it's good. I like Turtles All the Way Moan, which is about uh, an an evil person <laughs> who <laughs> mows over turtles with his lawnmower. <laughs> That's really good. That's better. That's better. I like that one better than mine. <laughs> All right, so come visit us on tour if you have the chance. Uh, We're very excited about it. And uh, with that noted, Hank, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. That's all I had was that thing about the the thing. And I. I, Oh, I'm glad you prepared that bit. That was very, that was solid. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to Australia. So I haven't been able to think about anything except all the work I have to do before I have to go to Australia. Well, um, let me take a little bit of uh, workload off of you by asking the first question from our listeners. All right. All right. This one comes from Karen, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm applying for pharmacy school, and some of the supplementary questions ask me about which of my personal characteristics makes me unique. How does one even answer this question? Is this different from a question about my unique experiences? I'm so confused. Mm. Frustration and confusion. Karen. First off, Karen, nobody is unique. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. I'm coming in like, and that's what pharmacy school really wants. They want a bunch of they want a bunch of people who are just like each one is not at all similar to the others. They want weirdos there at pharmacy school. Yeah, I'm Come not on. sure that I want my pharmacist to be one of the most no. eccentric people on earth. <laughs> yeah, like can you imagine Maureen Johnson like preparing your script. No, I don't yeah. want her counting my medications. I love Maureen Johnson, and she is unique. And I do not think that she, and I, I, I don't even think that she would disagree with me about this. I don't think no. she would be a great pharmacist. <laughs> all the, all of the, all of the most eccentric people I know almost invariably shouldn't be pharmacists. Which isn't to say that I don't love pharmacists. I have a great relationship with my pharmacists. They are all lovely people. I have, and- an, I have a real life friend who's a pharmacist, and I asked them once. I was like, "Would you prefer if I come to your pharmacy?" And they said, "No." <laughs> I don't want to know all your stuff, John. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to they be were aware. like, "Don't make it weird." Um, I, yeah, I, I, I think that's a dumb question. Uh, first off, none of your personal characteristics make you unique. Secondly, y- if I'm a pharmacy school, I want someone who's a good student, who's organized, who's disciplined, uh, who you know is bright and hardworking. I don't know that I'm really looking for the for the out there weirdos. I like the idea that there's like a personal character, like a unique personal characteristic. And it's like, look, mine doesn't have a name because it's unique. Literally, no one has ever had it before. Right. It's called Screvel. Mine's called Algamam. And I can't even explain Screvel to you because right. it is so unique that it is it does not touch upon any of the previous understandings you have had about the experience of what humans are like. Right. You're not able to access this because you don't have language for it. You can't have the thoughts that Screvels have. 
And then, in fact, that's what you should do, Karen. Just next to that question, just write Screvel in all capital letters, <laughs> underline it, exclamation point, no. and then in parentheses, no, explain that you can't explain this using language that people who decide whether you get into pharmacy school have access to. I, mean, I feel like it should be that like, will definitely get their attention. <laughs> the, the, the first letters should be like the S should be lowercase, the K should be lowercase, but the R and the E are uppercase. V is lowercase, E and the L are uppercase. That's how. That's how it's. Spelled, that's how Scrabble is spelled. Yeah, Scrabble. <laughs> Hank, can you say anything about Scrabble, or is it like it, no? It's just like okay. it does not. Okay. It does not connect with the normal like with the with the the broad cultural understanding of humanity it's just it's it's too disconnected john there you go karen i think we've found a solution for you that will definitely not get you into pharmacy school <laughs> this next question comes from hope who asks dear hank and john what is the plural form of dingus I use it constantly, both affectionately and otherwise, and am perplexed. Is it dingai, dinguses, or is it just like deer, and the plural remains the same as the singular, just a bunch of dingus? Signed, a dingus in need hope. Uh, Hank, I don't know how far you fell down the dingus rabbit hole while researching this question, <laughs> but I fell pretty damn wow. far. Yeah. Do you first I off- I fell like one one step down. I, I just Googled dingus etymology and that's as far as I got. Do you know- So I know that it comes from the Dutch. Do you know what a dingus is? It's uh, the Dutch word for, uh, well, ding is Dutch for a thing. Right. It's a like it's just a ding. Uh, but like that, I, that I, ding over there. I, I thought a dingus was like an idiot, like, oh, I'm being such a dingus about this. Yeah, that's sort of what I yeah, that's kind of my idea of but what a dingus that is. That is not what the dictionary's idea of what a dingus is. The dictionary oh. thinks a dingus mm-hmm. is like a doohickey or a thingamajig. Oh, this little dingus here. It's like when you don't have the word to describe Mm -hmm. a thing, either because there is no word associated for it or because you can't access the word or your vocabulary doesn't have it or whatever. Right. So it's like Screvel. (laughs) It is. It's not. It's not really. Um, it's a little bit different from Scrabble in that it is an established word that wasn't made up four minutes ago. But um, but yeah, that is the initial meaning of dingus, and it's not totally clear how it came hmm. to mean like a dingbat, except that it seems to sort of sound like dingbat, or you know, it sounds. It just sounds like a dingus. It sounds like, like a dingus. You dingus. Right. Yeah. It sounds like it should mean what it means, which is a really interesting thing about words and meaning. Yeah. Is that that kind of happens? Oh yeah. Where yeah, it, it isn't just a one way street where like we need a word for this. We you you try and find a word that sounds like the thing. Right. Right. Which it, no, it's a complicated... It's like an onomatopoeia, but inside your brain. So when I fell way down the rabbit hole, I found out something amazing, which is that doohickey, you know, I, a word that I mm-hmm. use all the time when I'm trying to describe something that I, I can't remember the name for. Um, doohickey comes from two words that also meant that doodad and hickey. Before hickey meant like a bruise that you would yeah. get on your neck from extremely aggressive Scorching. kissing. Um, <laughs> hickey meant the same thing that doodad and dingus meant, uh, which is to say that we have a lot of words for thing that we have forgotten the word for. 
Yeah. Well, that's an important important thing to have a word for. And it's not just a thing you've forgotten the word for. It's a thing that doesn't really have a name. Like the little thing that converts my Apple charger from like an extra long plug to just the one that I can store up for easy travel. That is a, that's totally a, that's a dingus. It's a thingamabob. Yeah. It's a what do you it's call a, it? It's a duder. It's a it's a gubbins is another word that means the same thing. Really? Yeah. <laughs> gubbins is good. Yeah. Oh man, Mr. Gubbins, that'd be a great name for a character in a in a in a children's book. It would. Um today is just today you didn't know this and I didn't know it either, but today's uh Dear Hank and John is all about etymology and <laughs> the relationship between language and thought. It's just I like it. Okay, so I like uh, it. That none of what we said got, got to the answer to the question. Oh, what was the question? I have no idea. What is the plural of dingus? Oh, I'm not sure, John. I figured you had the answer because apparently you went way down the dingus hole. So there's an alternative form of dingus, which is dingies. <laughs> and I think that would be a good plural form. But according to mm-hmm. the internet, it is not the actual plural form. The actual plural form is dinguses. Yeah, I figured it might be dinguses. But we had a really good conversation about dinguses anyway. That uh, that that made it all worthwhile. Well, I mean, I don't know that it was worthwhile, but I mean, you know, you have to use your one wild and precious life somehow, and this is how we choose to do it. <laughs> uh, before you ask the, and the next question, John, let me remind everyone that we have a, a phrase of the day, week, or of the week, or whatever, and one of us is going to try and wedge that phrase into into uh, the speaking without uh, without anybody out there in the listening world knowing that we're doing it and if we can do that effectively then we win and i understand that it's not a good game uh it's not a well-designed game but uh, we have fun uh, thinking about it so that's what's important i've forgotten what the phrase is john we talked about it and i forgot what it is don't tell me well i'm not going to tell you what it is because that would be cheating <laughs> yeah uh, you you gotta you gotta slide it in there and i don't i won't even know what happened all right hey this is a question near and dear to both of our hearts it comes from kate who writes dear john and hank staying in a hotel for almost two weeks on a work trip <laughs> has taught me that hotel rooms are in fact the world's loneliest places i've been distracting mm-hmm. myself in the evenings by facetiming my boyfriend but after hanging up the room feels even quieter and lonelier than before do other people feel this way when traveling for business any tips on making a hotel stay more bearable and then hank you will not believe her sign off from the lonely abyss of a courtyard Marriott, Kate. Ah! <laughs> so in John 2012... A lot of... Yeah, okay. You tell the whole story. So in 2012, Hank and I spent, with two exceptions, 30 consecutive nights in courtyard Marriott's. Uh, so the, the geographical location in which we were would change nightly, but the layout of the room never changed. <laughs> yeah, we would no, always it's not arrive. Just the layout of the room. It's the it's the the art on the walls. The, yeah, the bedspreads, yeah. the wallpaper, the toilets were all the same. The red love seat, the yeah desk, the chair, the bed, and I'll tell you what, Kate, it did get a little dark after a while. Yeah. I mean, my strategy for solving this problem is to not go to the room until it is sleep time and the whole time I'm in the room be listening to a podcast because then I don't I, I like just distract myself from the from the fact that I'm doing this hotel room thing. The worst trap I feel like you can fall into is watching TV in a hotel room because then you're just awake forever. 
Yeah. For some reason, I have a very hard time sleeping once the TV is on in a hotel room, and I just want to like watch the end of this of this terrible uh, piece of of fake documentary about the worst air disasters right before I get on a plane. Yeah, I mean, I think so. First off, Kate, I think this is a common thing. I remember being very excited about my first work trip, uh, and then like getting on it and being like oh is it like this all the time and now 15 years later uh, it is like that all the time now sometimes <laughs> I, I you know there are advantages to it like i can sleep in uh, at least sometimes which i can't do uh when i'm sleeping at home because i have little kids and that can be nice and that's an upside that i can look forward to uh another upside that i can look forward to is that sometimes i will like happen across a movie on hbo if they have hbo in the hotel and i'll be like oh i can watch a movie but i agree with hank that like watching sort of like endless linear cable tv is not a recipe for good sleep um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I think it's good to listen to podcasts. I think it's good to watch movies. I think it's great to read a book. I usually try to read when I'm in a hotel room. Um, but it's hard to sleep in those places, at least for me. Um, and uh, yeah, work travel that I always thought was going to be like, you know, I can't believe that they're paying for my hotel room. Uh, occasionally, I'll think that when it's a very nice hotel room. But most of the time, I think like, Oh, it's another it's another hotel room. This place probably has bed bugs. <laughs> it's all probabilities, John. I mean, I would not want to see a black light in any of those rooms. Agreed. All right, John. Next question. It comes from Brianna, who asks, Dear Brothers Green, I've recently started working on a cruise line, and one of my first days at sea, I saw a thunderstorm off in the distance, and it got me thinking, water's good conductor of electricity, right? So when lightning strikes the ocean, how far does the electricity spread, and for how long does the affected area stay electrified? Is it possible that my ship could be electrocuted from a storm off near the horizon? Thank you for either quashing or amplifying my fears, Brianna. Can you get a podcast on a ship? Uh, Oh, of course you can. They have wireless now. Um, Brianna, I've got good news and bad news. The bad news is that you're going to die of norovirus on that ship. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter that you're not going to die of electrocution from a lightning strike. Mm-hmm. I mean, of the things that could kill you on a ship, uh, I would say that uh, norovirus is the is the bigger concern. I uh, I have a bunch of information on this, John. If you're curious, I'm very uh, and, curious. And kind of a kind of a weird fact, which is that the lightning lightning very rarely strikes the ocean. Mm. That's interesting. Which is interesting. Why? Yeah. Um, because, uh, for a couple of reasons, one, there's not really like, like lightning likes to go to a place. And when it's just this like infinite flat plane, uh, it just strikes internally inside of the cloud. So if it's above the ocean, it tends to be cloud to cloud lightning more than cloud to ground lightning. Second, because it seems like lightning actually happens when the kind of perturbations that the land tends to create, which is like a lot more heat comes off of land. And there are also, you know, actual physical boundaries that can make clouds bump around and move around. Um, uh, That lightning tends to happen when those kinds of obstructions start making all of the all of the stuff rubbed together more than it was previously, but it does happen. It does strike the le- the, the the ocean sometimes, and uh, enough that we know a little bit about what happens when lightning strikes the ocean, which is. 
because to be first of all, water is not a great conductor of electricity, but salt water is. So what happens is it goes into the water and then it spreads out very quickly until you know not very far away from the point of the lightning strike. It is not a significant amount of charge. If you're sitting right there where the lightning strikes, you're going to die. But uh, but it does not go very far, and so it probably it doesn't kill very many fish. For example, did I ever um, tell you about the it, time? Uh, as you know, Hank, I have a long term fear of dying via lightning strike mm-hmm. because I grew up in Orlando, Florida, and also because I have you know a number of the major death fears. Did I ever tell you about the time that I uh, walked away from the wedding? What are you talking about? No. Okay, so one of Sarah's family members was getting married. It was a bit of a shotgun wedding. We were on top of a mountain uh, in Colorado, and it began to, like, rain and thunderstorm, and there was lightning strikes everywhere, and everyone was holding umbrellas on top of a mountain. (laughs) And I was like, this is it. This is how we're all going to go. And the bride and groom were like, it's okay, we're going to get married in the rain. And I was like, y'all can do whatever you want, but this is not how I die. And so (laughs) I walked away. Uh, Also, I I have to congratulate you on seamlessly including the phrase of the week shotgun wedding in your little anecdote, John. I know, it wasn't actually a shotgun wedding. They they had been dating for like (laughs) 10 years, but... um, (gasps) (laughs) <laughs> so i just i just fictionalized just, that one detail so that i could get the story and thank you hank yeah, i think that i i think that i win the prize you definitely won that we definitely won this week i i was thinking maybe i was gonna get the lyrics to beck's loser somehow incorporated <laughs> into the podcast <laughs> but yeah i uh, it's too late for me now uh, i mean well that like yes and i agree i honestly agree with you because it's not like it's one thing if somebody gets struck by lightning and they die it's another thing if like the entire family goes like everybody's there one lightning strike could be like ah like the line has ended remember the remember the jeffersons they are no more right no i would have been, they were I up been on the that, sole survivor wedding <laughs> <laughs> It's like that uh, TV show where Kiefer Sutherland becomes the president. Okay, um, we've got another question. This one's from Liliana who writes, Dear John and Hank, Hank, this is one of those questions. Sometimes I feel like people send us in questions and what they really need is not advice or answers. What they really need is reassurance that they are doing exactly the right thing. Okay. And I think Mm -hmm. that Liliana is in such a situation. She writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm 15 and I'll be a sophomore in high school next year. Over the summer, I've been asked over and over again by relatives and family, friends, all adults, if I know where I want to go to college and what I want to study. I have no idea. So my default answer has just been to say fish and art before walking away. What am I supposed to say to this question? Uh, definitely fish and art. Yeah. I mean, you, Liliana, you've cracked, you hit it. You've cracked a code that's haunted (laughs) high school sophomores for hundreds of years. Oh my, why are you asking a high school sophomore anything about college? Oh. And then, and then when they say, wait, is fish and art what you want to study or where you want to go to university? You just say fish, fish and art and art, fish and art. I'm going to the University of Fish, where I'm going to study art <laughs> study. and fish. <laughs> I'm going to the University of Art, 
and I'm going to be studying fish horticulture. I apologize. Fish pescaculture. If my answer was ambiguous, but I, or perhaps I stuttered, let me just repeat myself. Fish <laughs> and art. Ask me again, uncle. Ask me. Also, Liliana, I'd like to encourage you to actually study fish and art. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, either, you know, th- that can mean a lot of different things. Like fish could be biology, like wildlife biology. It, it could, could be, be the- stream ecology. It could also be like actual agriculture, like fish farming, which is a growing industry and one that uh, is in need of great people to, to be managing fish farms. Um, and art, of course, can mean pretty much anything. So uh, it's good to have a diverse group of knowledge. Like it's good to, to mix a, uh, a creative degree like art with a uh, potentially a, a degree that has like uh, available jobs and that you'll develop uh, marketable skills at like fish. Uh, so, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'll, fish and art. I, I just want to throw this out there as an option. I also think that she could consider studying fish and other jam bands. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, that's really I, want bad. To I want to apologize. I was like, is jam, is, is jam band the phrase of the week? Why the heck would John say that? <laughs> that seemed really, really wedged in. Oh, I mean, Fish is one of the leading jam bands, Hank. You have but to acknowledge Liliana that. Liliana clearly spelled it with an F. And, and She's yes, 15, certainly. Hank. She might not know how to, how to spell Fish yet. I'm going to college to study the band Fish. I, uh, That's oh, good. I guarantee sure you, you that there are many, many people who have written their undergraduate theses on the band Fish. Mm. I, uh, when I was a freshman in in, uh, in college, I listened to Trey Parker's senior thesis from his school, which was a musical, like a rock musical thing. And I downloaded it uh, in real media files, and I listened to the whole thing. It's real weird, John. I I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> um. But that's where you brought us. I, that's where I, you brought us. I don't think I took you there. But that's when where you, you Google PhD thesis about the band Fish, um, <laughs> not that I did that. And not that I became the first person ever to Google that particular search. <laughs> Do you know what you learn? What? John? Okay. Do you remember the band The Offspring? Uh huh. Yeah. Of um, I'm just a sucker with no self esteem. Yeah. Oh, that way. was the big one. Uh, the lead singer of The Offspring, Dexter uh-huh. Holland, has a PhD sure. in molecular biology from the University of Southern California. He just got it. Uh, well, just this year, actually. Really? Yeah. That's great. I'm really, I'm very, I'm, I'm excited for Dexter. Yeah, me too. A, uh, Congratulations to Dexter Holland. I yeah. don't know that the band, The Offspring and Fish have anything in common, but I appreciate Google just trying to reach out and be broad. <laughs> John, this podcast is brought to you by the molecular biology degree of Dexter Holland, the former frontman for Offspring, or maybe current frontman for current, Offspring. Current frontman for Offspring. Oh, so they, he, he could get it all done all at the same time. That's, That's right. Great. Congratulations, That's right. Dexter Holland. And thanks for uh, thanks for, for being one of my favorite, writing some of my favorite songs when I was in high school. Uh, this podcast is also brought to you by the Lonely Abyss of the Courtyard Marriott. The Lonely Abyss of the Courtyard Marriott, vast, even endless. 
Uh, of course, this podcast is additionally brought to you by Screvel. Screvel, you don't know what it is, and you're never going to know what it is because it's a unique characteristic of my personality. <laughs> this one comes from Gabby, who says, Dear Green Brothers, why do I always feel safer when I turn the lights on? When I'm scared, my first instinct is to turn every light in my house on, but logically I have no clue what I would do if I saw someone standing there when I turned on the light. Reasonably, I know that I would have just like a few extra moments of terror before getting murdered because I wouldn't be able to defend myself, so... Why do I always feel the overwhelming urge to turn on the lights when I'm scared? How frugal is the chariot that bears the human soul? Gabby. So, Hank, a while ago, I read this really fascinating book called uh, At Day's Close, Night in Times Past that talked about uh, what night was like for Europeans before electric lighting. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason we turn on the lights is because night for almost all of human history was a very bad, dangerous, scary time. <laughs> and lots of bad things could happen to you. And you had very little warning uh, that they were going to happen. So I think like, like from an evolutionary standpoint, night makes us nervous. And from what I could gather from that book, it ought to. I mean, Gabby, what I'm coming at this from is like, I'm not... I'm not turning on the light so I can find the murderer. I'm turning on the light so I know the murderer is definitely not there. Like, if I found the murderer, I'd be like, this is worse than when the lights were off. Like, I want the murderer to, or whoever, to be on their way and to do their thing. I do not want to have a face-to-face -face encounter with a home intruder. Have my computers. Go ahead. Have a nice day. But I want to know that that person is not there. And that is the only way to know that they are not there is to turn on all the lights. And it's pretty amazing that we can. What a wonderful moment we live in. That's true. I, I agree 100%. The only thing that I would add is that the other advantage to turning on the lights is that potentially it, it makes those who would rather do their work uh, in private <laughs> and unseen uh, suddenly be seen, which I don't even know if that's good or bad. I don't know. I, all I know is that when I read this book at day's close, it scared the living crap out of me. <laughs> and also I learned that in uh, like early modern Europe, there was a, a, it was very common to wake up at two o'clock in the morning for an hour or two and then go back to sleep, which is the weirdest thing about pre-19th century life that I've ever come across. <laughs> Yeah, that's when there was like a special a special prayer time. And then also that's when most of the babies got made. Yeah. And I think maybe a little bit of like uh, just sort of like, let's go walk in the nice the nice chill of the evening. No, there and, was not uh, a lot of walking. Maybe scrub up the pants. No, some pants scrubbing. No, nope. I don't know. I mean, uh, I wasn't I wasn't there when you read the book, John. I just uh, I just heard what the Internet had to say about it. Oh, OK. Yeah, I just, I, I found that time, I don't know. I've also been reading a really good book about uh, 17th century Paris and the first police chief of Paris, Hank, that I have to recommend. I think it's called City of Light, City of Poison. And oh, it is a rip-roaring adventure that is completely true. This next question comes from Stacy, who writes, Dear John and Hank, why can't my bathtub just be in my living room? Best fishes, Stacy. Oh, wow. That's a good sign-off. It seems like she's been talking to Liliana. Um, yeah, the, uh, John, I once had my bathtub in my bedroom. 
Oh yeah. Uh, when uh, when we lived in New York, one of our closest friends uh, had her bathtub in her kitchen, and when <laughs> when she asked the landlord why is the bathtub in the kitchen, the landlord explained, "Well, because all the other plumbing is here." <laughs> It's just, uh, yeah. I mean, like, there aren't any other. It's not like there are doors in your apartment. Why? Why, why like, buy a like, seven-foot-long pipe when I could just buy a one-foot-long pipe? I mean, yeah. Why have a Why have a bathtub at all? You've got a sink. <laughs> just crouch in there. Just get in there. You know what? I think you can have a bathtub in your living room. And if you own your own home, you can bring in a contractor and say, the first thing that I would like to do when renovating this house is to put a bathtub in the dead center of the living room so that I can watch TV while I enjoy my luxurious baths. And the contractor will probably say, that's not going to be great for resale value. And then you tell them that um, you want to do it anyway. (laughs) This is my house. When Catherine and I were looking for houses, we did happened upon a home that had in the bedroom a giant jacuzzi tub that had clearly been put in by those owners out and the bathroom was there the bathroom was was like you could reach the bathroom door from the jacuzzi tub i was like why didn't you just make the wall go out around no the jacuzzi no tub? it's nice to but have no, a jacuzzi tub in your, in your master bedroom right up to the jacuzzi tub yep. and then there was a step yep. that you could step on to get into the jacuzzi tub that was also carpeted yes and i was just this was a very strange set of decisions and probably has something to do with the smell that's in here right no and i think that was a relatively that house i think that was a relatively common decision back in the 80s uh, sarah and i also saw a number of houses that had had that uh, particular layout and i would think like you know, I love a good bath, but I'm not sure that I want to bathe in the same room in which I sleep. Yeah. It yeah. just seems and, uh, it seems like a recipe for mold. Yeah. The only reason that my, my apartment like was like that it when I first moved to Montana was because clearly they did not have space for a shower, so they put it in the bedroom. That said, Hank, did you um make any decisions when you were renovating your house that uh, you knew were bad for resale value, but you made because they bring you personal joy? Uh, Yeah, I must have. The one that I did was that I made a secret room in my house, which was (laughs) stupid (laughs) from the perspective (laughs) of uh, how much money can you spend on a door turns out a lot (laughs) but it was brilliant from the perspective of every time i walk into my secret room i feel as if for the first time overwhelmed by childlike joy do you have like a is it just like a bunch of like like uh military equipment like batman it's just like your your bat car and or is it just like a bunch of pens and typewriters or something like you're my secret identity is i am i am the guy who writes those books that you've read no it's and not like, like a bat you go cave. in there and you put on a put on a cape and then you no. type no it's furiously. actually it's actually the room it's kind of like a work room it's the room in which i make uh vlogbrothers videos but it's also kind of a work room but if you walk up to the door it looks like a bookcase and then there's one particular book that if mm-hmm. you tap it the bookcase uh opens and That's pretty uh, cool yeah it is pretty cool i mean i i'll tell you what 
no one but me would enjoy it as much as I enjoy it, but it, it brings me great joy every day. Oh, I yeah, I have one. The thing that I did that's terrible for resale value is that we uh, we we have uh, spruce floors, which is just a terrible idea uh, because it is a very soft wood. But I think it's beautiful and I love it so much. Well, there you go. I think I think you've got to live your own life. And if you want a bathtub in your living room, then do it, man. Make it happen. Yeah, mine's super boring. It's the kind of wood we chose for the floor. That is pretty boring. It was actually, it was already there. There was there was carpet over it. And the contractor was like, this is just going to get all dented up. And I was like, yeah, with my life, every dent is going to be another thing that happened in my home. Get out of here. I think uh, that's, that's actually quite a beautiful idea, Hank, that uh, over time, th- the floors will change because you have lived with them. I, I, I quite like that. This next question comes from Clara, or if I've learned anything in the last few weeks, possibly. <laughs> Possibly Clara or Clara. All I know is that I'm definitely mispronouncing it. Dear John and Hank, why are story problems in math books so bizarre? I've had some weird ones, like a boy who wanted to make dodecahedron-shaped cookies as a romantic gesture for his girlfriend, and the one where a boy was driving near Umatilla, saw a circular irrigation pipe that was 450 feet long from his car and wanted to know the area of it. Also, why do people in math books not have Google? To measure the height of the Statue of Liberty so as to prevent height-induced nosebleeds, most people would just, you know, Google it. Uh, I, I honestly do not, I do not know, and I, I find word problems very frustrating because it's, it is as if someone said, no, we need to find real-life ways to apply this knowledge to the world, and then it was like, well, let's come up with the weirdest, most contrived real-life ways that we could possibly think of that are just so outside of anyone's experience that they might as well be scrubbed. Right. If the idea is that, like, oh, you do use math in your everyday life, then you're going to be like, but I'm never going to go to Umatilla. So it's this is irrelevant to me. (laughs) I've always thought I've always thought it was because, like, it's a way of trying to, like, uh, imprint the ideas by making the examples so weird and obscure that Mm -hmm. you like you use the weirdness of the ideas as part of understanding the solution. But I, I truly don't know. And it has, it, I remember it striking me as very weird when I was uh, like a middle school and high school student. And I'm sure uh, based on Claire's experience, things have not gotten more normal. I mean, yeah, I did that uh, uh, one math video on Vlogbrothers once upon a time, and I had some word problems at the end of it. And I, I did choose to make them as weird as possible, but I also tried to make them very life and death. Like, not like, right. oh, I wonder what the circumference of that irrigation pipe is. Uh, more like, uh, yeah, like the, there's like, you are going to die if you cannot solve this math problem right. quick. That's definitely the way to Which, approach it. I mean, people yeah. need to understand that when you use math in your daily life, it's in an, in an attempt to avoid being eaten by a bear. Yeah. Which is really that, like, in some ways... It actually, like, when I use math in my everyday life, it's almost always statistically, and it is almost always pretty important to my life. Yes. Like, I think that understanding statistics is very important to business and to, uh, but also to, like, making sound decisions financially and 
uh, and for your family. Risk assessment. And yeah, absolutely. I would very much like to see more statistics taught earlier on. I, I just think that people are often like, well, well, statistics isn't worth teaching if we can't get into the nitty gritties. And I'm like, it so is. And we should. Yeah, maybe one of our uh, math teacher uh, listeners will be able to explain word problems to us. In the meantime, Hank, we need to get to some name-specific sign-offs because we got some great ones this week. My favorite of the week came in from Sarah, who wrote that she signs off her emails by saying, K Sarah, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) That's real good. That's real good. Uh, What else? Let me get one. Uh, This person's name is Kian, who says, my name specific sign-off, only if you realize that C-I-A-N is pronounced Kian, a lock is what you put a key in. That's pretty great. And Emma wrote in with a number of really good name-specific sign-offs, including get busy living or get busy, comma, Ryan. Uh, this next one makes me really wish that I had named my son Harry so that he could have his sign-offs. You're a wizard, Harry. (laughs) And I like, uh, also, she has one for Adam. It's not a bridge, it's comma, Adam. (laughs) And she signs off her own email by writing, I've been faced with a real dill, comma, Emma. (laughs) Dilemma. It's there. It's yeah, there it's for me. I it's got good. it. Yeah, yeah. It works, especially because maybe you could be faced with a real deal. Just like a pickle, like a real a real big deal. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, we have to just share one correction because Hank got something wrong again, and it makes me so happy when he gets things wrong. Um, mm, did I get something wrong? He got two things wrong. First off, Amanda wrote in to say that in many places, it is not actually legal to pick up a rock. Uh, and No, that is, that is picking true. Picking up a rock but does you not can make do you it own anyway. it. Uh, and Kelly <laughs> wrote in to say, Dear John and Hank, I am the on-site manager of a homeowners association. And I would just like to pause oh right here goodness. and say, Kelly, there are some people who are doing the Lord's work. And there are some people who are doing the Lord's work. And you are the second kind. Oh, my God. <laughs> Let us pause to give thanks for Kelly and all on-site manager of homeowners associations everywhere. I felt the need to write in on the topic from last week regarding whether or not it is okay to deposit your dog's poop into a neighbor's trash can. Given the number of complaints I've received from homeowners regarding this very issue, I can assure you that the answer is a very strong no, it is not okay. I mean, why are these people going through their own trash? Well... How do you even know that it happened? I mean, I don't understand how you know it. Like, it's the trash. At that point, it's trash. The only person who's going to deal with it after this point is the person who puts it in the back of the garbage truck. If anybody's going to complain, it should be them. I, I think the bigger issue is if there's a hole or if the bag breaks, then you've potentially got poop in the bottom of your trash can bin forever and you've got to clean it out. She went into a great detail and made a compelling argument. And also, if we can make life easier, for the on-site managers of homeowners associations worldwide, please let us do that. Because I have been to many a homeowners association meeting, and I have never felt that kind of despair anywhere else. 
Yeah, I have also, and it is not grand. Some people are good at it. Some people can take that on and do it well, and and I'm sure that Kelly is one of those people, but I am not. Hank, we're recording this well in advance, so uh, it's going to be a little difficult for us to do the Mars and Wimbledon news, but we're going to persevere by uh, a bold new segment in which we predict... What the news from Mars and or Wimbledon will be 11 days from now. All right. What do you got? Okay, Hank. Uh, AFC Wimbledon, in a, in a really stunning turn of events, played uh, two games over the last nine days. Uh, they played Portsmouth and Blackpool. And uh, this is going to surprise you, but they won both games. Six points from two games, uh, beating Blackpool 2-1 with a last second uh, winner from substitute Wild Taylor, the Messi from Montserrat, the Montserratian Cristiano Ronaldo, some call him. (laughs) And then uh, up against Portsmouth, one of the uh, biggest teams in League One, a fan-owned club like AFC Wimbledon. Wimbledon won 3-0. 3-0 victory Ooh. for AFC Wimbledon in my hypothetical future against Portsmouth. I mean, I guess you, I guess you're trying to maybe like get some accuracy out of this, but why didn't you just make it 5? 16. You know what, Hank? That's, you're right. I, I apologize. Lyle Taylor scored a hat trick and AFC Wimbledon beat Portsmouth by 5 goals. They beat they won 8 to 3. <laughs> Oof. Man, those goalkeepers need to get their their goalkeeping hands on. Uh, the, oh no! Uh, our our goalkeeper stopped forty seven shots. Oh, wow. Okay. Good. Good. Wow. I think there is another problem then. Uh, what will happen in Mars? In uh, in Mars news, eleven days from now, if I know anything from googling Mars news every week, it's that someone will feel as if they have seen something in a picture from the surface of Mars that either confirms the existence of aliens <laughs> or confirms that NASA has not, in fact, gone to Mars and that it's all on a soundstage. And that's, that is a gum wrapper, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so I, I'm, I can confidently predict that there will be a story of that kind published somewhere on the Internet 11 days from uh, now. Hank, I don't think that's... I, I'm going to encourage you to be bolder and go ahead and make a prediction <laughs> that flat Marsism is going to spread through right. Twitter well, like wildfire. Well, I'm, what do you think? That flat earthers think that Mars is a planet? No, they also think that Mars is flat. Do they? It's, it's I don't know. Of course I don't know. I don't pay any attention to flat earthers. I believe that flat earthers are 90% trolls and 10% ve- very confused. Uh, even the even the ten percent like they're trolls. They just have internalized it so deeply that they forgot they were once trolls. Um, but yes, I'm sure that they think Mars is a coin flipping out there in, in the in the solar well, system. Doing no, its, no, no, no. With right, turtles I, all the way down. I, yeah, it's turtles all the way down, man. I um, <clears throat> I, I am right now on the flat Earth Society discussion boards. Um, mm-hmm. For the question, is Mars, Venus, Mercury, etc. flat too? It's uh, one of the leading topics of recent <laughs> conversation on the Flat Earth discussion oh, boards. Yep, there it is. Um, because the the first comment, um, which is very compelling, is they look round through a telescope anyway, question mark? And then the first reply is, <laughs> they're round, just like the Earth. Because I believe that Flat Earthers believe that the Earth is round but just not right. spherical. Circular. It's circular. Circular, but not spherical. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, uh, I mean, I feel like I, we need to read this entire this entire thread. It's been, this conversation has been going on since 2010, but it is recently updated. I like the person who recently wrote, "Look, no one is claiming that other celestial bodies are flat." <laughs> <laughs> Come on, stop! Don't don't make us look like idiots here. Of course, Mars is spherical. Well, I mean, there was a reply to that to that one that says each and every one of the heavenly bodies has the shape of a disc. There are no spherical planets, and then a, a lot of references. Oh, oh my God! Oh, I'm on that one Including the including the impossibility of a spherically shaped sun is a whole thread. <laughs> oh man! Oh God! Oh man. Okay, I have to actually. You know what? Oh. That's uh, that's it. That's it. That I've I, I I hit the limit. I'm off. I'm out. <laughs> so I'm out. I can handle flat earthism. I cannot flat handle flat sunism. I can't. <laughs> I can't. I mean, I think there's a place for all kinds of opinions on the internet, but flat sun and is flat sunism is where I draw the line. <laughs> all right, John. So aside from the futility of of that jaunt down the google hole what did we learn today i i mean i feel like i just unlearned so much <laughs> uh well we learned that there are a lot of words for dingus doohickey and thingamajig and we learned that hickey uh is not just that that suck bruise it's also um it's also apparently a thing that the, the little duder the doodad the Dingus. We learned that Dexter Holland has a PhD in microbiology. I thought that he has a PhD. Yes. Oh man! Did you not? Were you not listening to me while I was reading that headline? I knew he had a degree. I didn't know it was a PhD. It's great. Is Doctor Dexter Holland of the Offspring? Oh, that's that's wonderful. And lastly, we learned that pharmacy schools are really out to get those most unique of candidates. There is no such thing as being more or less unique. If you are unique, you are unique. I, that's a personal... I, I, sh- I should have let that go, but I didn't. And I just now I have to apologize for not letting it go. Okay. Thank you for potting with me, Hank. I don't know how unique works, and I don't know how pharmacy schools work either. Uh, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> if you want to email us, you can do so at hankandjohn at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter. I'm John Green. Hank is Hank Green. This podcast is produced by Rosiana Hulse Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. It's edited by Nicholas Jenkins. Our community manager is Victoria Bongiorno. You can find uh, Dear Hank and John on Patreon, where you can get our special weekly uh, short podcast called This Week in Ryan's, where we discuss one famous Ryan throughout history who usually isn't actually named Ryan. Um, this theme music that you are hearing right now is from the great Gunnarola. You can find him on YouTube at youtube.com slash Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, to be awesome. awesome.